I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes, it's a new month, which means what, Jeff Braun? It means it's time for the July movie preview, and we'll start with the July movie review of what will surely be the biggest movie of the week. It came out on Tuesday, and yes, it's Spider-Man Far From Home. I have a plan. First, for this class trip, I want to do something that's not on the itinerary. Second, I'm going to tell MJ how I feel. I am Spider-Man. No, of course I'm not. Uh, three. I kind of want to do something fun. Don't do any of that. Why? Because we're going to be bachelors in Europe. And Europeans love Americans. Really? Spider-Man Far From Home starts July 2nd in IMAX. Spider-Man Far From Home, not to be confused with the last one, Spider-Man Homecoming. I don't know if that's... Is that just a coincidence that they both have the word home in the title? It's probably by design, yeah. So now the third one has to have home in the title. Yes. Or I will... I uh, get anxiety about it. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they'll call it. Home run, and it takes place at a baseball game. <laughs> there it is. Okay, starring Tom Holland as Peter Harker slash Spider-Man, Zendaya as MJ, Jacob Batalon as Ned, Andrew Rice as Betty Brant, Tom Rivalori as Flash, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May, John Favreau as Happy Hogan, Martin Starr and J.B. Smoove as their teachers, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, and Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck slash Mysterio. I'm going to be vague on details because this is the kind of movie you don't want to spoil, and it's one that's easy to spoil on a couple of different fronts. For starters, it takes place after Avengers Infinity War, and Endgame, and it has to answer some of the leftover questions from that saga, and a lot of the repercussions are, are, are involved. So, in other words, Peter Parker and friends live in a post-Endgame world, and Endgame is still in theaters. A lot of people still haven't seen that. So, be careful of what if don't go searching on the internet if you don't want spoilers, because they are abound already. I also don't want to talk much about the superhero plot of the movie, because, like Homecoming, there are some cool twists and turns that you want to, you know, hit you freshly. And oddly enough, it's not really the point of the movie, I will just say a little bit about Mysterio. Jake Gyllenhaal is terrific. I know I've stated before that I don't like Jake Gyllenhaal over the years, but I looked at his IMDb today, and I've actually only seen him in five movies, and I really like four of the movies. Brokeback Mountain, Jarhead, Zodiac, and the Spider-Man are the good ones. He's also in The Day After Tomorrow, which I saw, and that's terrible, but that's all I've seen him in. You so is that why you didn't like Jake Gyllenhaal? Because of The Day After Tomorrow? Uh, yeah, and you know what? On hindsight, it's probably not his fault either. No, it's not his fault. It's a terrible movie, but <laughs> It's got a wonderful cast full of amazing actors. Well, you got to take some accountability when you sign up for what. I mean, that would have been a terrible movie reading it, so yeah. it's a little bit on Jake. Well, they all needed a paycheck. Yeah, that's true. He's also the little, he was a little kid in City Slickers, but he's in like two scenes, so that doesn't count. So I guess I was ragging on him for no good reason all these years. He is a good actor. Still don't like his sister, though, either, right? Maggie. Well, because she replaced. Uh, Katie in the Batman movie. That's, so that's a dig against her right there. Oh, so even though like she's a vendetta. Good yeah. Because you, you like Katie Holmes. Again, not Maggie Gyllenhaal's fault. <laughs> 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 I don't think she actively tried to steal the role. Uh, don't forget it. I think, I, according to Conan O'Brien, the way to pronounce her name is Gyllenhaal. <laughs> so I don't know what the deal with Mysterio is in the comic books. I only know him from the old cartoon show. And that was always a pretty simplistic portrayal of everyone involved. I think the bad guys just mostly showed up on that. And do you have a catchphrase on that cartoon show? I can't remember. Do you have a voice? I think they all had kind of a similar voice. Just, I'll get you, Spider-Man. Yes. You can't mess with Mysterio. And I know Rhino was always going on about gold bullion. <laughs> I need my gold bullion. And he just like put his head down and 
ram a hole through the bank. <laughs> That's great. They huh? need to bring that back because I would love to see what uh, MCU would comprise a rhino costume out of at this point. They have like that big mechanical one in the Garfield movie, right? Yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was kind of weird. that, way, But they, they sort of captured the spirit of the cartoon with... Uh, God, what's the name of the actor? Paul Giamatti. Yes. Yeah, he was an angry little man. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so you can see in the trailer that uh, Mysterio and Spider-Man fight some giant monsters, and it looks terrific. You'd think after Endgame there'd be no way to impress audiences visually, but this really did for me. And the stakes are so much decidedly smaller than Endgame, but I mean, it'd have to be. That was the culmination of this long-running saga, and this is more of a singular adventure, and I had no problem with that. So, what is the point of the movie? Well, it's sort of like a John Hughes high school dramedy. Peter Parker wants a break from the superhero stuff to enjoy his school science trip to Europe, and he's planning to tell MJ his feelings for her. You don't get this stuff in the other Marvel movies, by the way, so it's very refreshing like that. All the young actors are adorable. MJ, Ned, Betty Brant get a lot of screen time in this movie, and it's just great. It's also nice to see high school characters played by actors who actually pass for high school aged people, unlike maybe the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, where everybody seemed to be 30 years old. Yeah, good point. Uh, and we're already on record as uh, being Ned fans from the last movie. He's the comic relief. He doesn't disappoint. Zendaya and Andrew Rice as MJ and Betty Brandt get more to do here. And they're pretty rad. I mean, I raved about Rice five years ago when she played Ryan Gosling's daughter in The Nice Guys. And this must put her on track to be my favorite young actor. I hope she has a long career ahead of her because she's great in this. So they're all off to Europe. They're planning to go to Venice, Paris, and London with their hapless teachers as their chaperones. Martin Starr was the teacher in Homecoming. J.B. Smoove, uh, he was Leon and Curb Your Enthusiasm is also a teacher in this one. A lot of fun stuff with them, but of course the focus is on Parker as he attempts to control his dual life that threatens to unravel on each end at every turn. On the hero side, he's also visited by Happy Hogan, who's sort of like his handler at this point, as well as Nick Fury, who's also trying to come to grips with the fallout from Endgame. Everything blends together nicely. It's mostly, obviously, lighter than Endgame, as you would expect. It's fast-paced and breezy. It's also surprising and emotional. It's about everything you want from a superhero movie. If they make a third that's close to being as good as this in Homecoming, Spider-Man, I think, will become my favorite sub-franchise in the MCU. I've always said it's Captain America, but they've got three, so they sort of got a leg up there. They've nailed a whole trilogy. But I think Spider-Man will easily be able to do that. Uh, the score by Michael Giacchino is terrific. There's a piece that actually plays during the end credits that was so beautiful, and I'm not sure if it was actual his music score or if it was like an old classical music piece that they were just playing, uh, which would have sort of been weird, but they were also in some parts of Europe that had rich histories musically, so I don't know. I, I couldn't figure it out, and I tried looking it up, and I couldn't find anything. Either way, waiting for the end credit scene was a pleasure, because of the nice music. And yeah, there are end credit scenes again. There weren't any in Endgame, but they're back. The one at the very end was more conf confusing for me than sort of like some awesome res revelation, but worth hanging around for, and I'm always... I don't know the MCU's history, so I'm always like out to lunch when they're sort of teasing stuff, because I don't know what they're teasing. But the one people are talking about, and the one you should very much try to avoid spoilers for, is the mid-credits scene. People gasped. My jaw dropped twice. Uh, it was really good stuff. If you've already seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A couple of nitpicks, uh, but again, too spoilery to get into my quibbles. I don't know that there are even actually problems with the movie, or just my understanding of it. Maybe a second viewing would help. Just two little items that weren't really a big deal anyways. But overall, it was a great time at the movies. Four and a half coach cushions out of five for Spider-Man Far From Home.
I'm actually a little... When I think about it, I'm kind of shocked that I haven't gone to see this because yeah. I used to be such a Spider-Man lunatic, and now I'm getting anxiety thinking about avoiding these spoilers because I don't know when I'm going to get to see this. I'm just sort of going through my itinerary for the next few days. Like, can I go see it that day? No, no. Next, no. Ah, I don't know. Don't type anything that says Spider-Man at all in, into a search engine or a YouTube or anything like that because I got spoilers in Endgame. Just typing in a character's name and the auto auto fill thing. Oh, no. Just, like, spat out the spoiler. I was like, what are you kidding me? Well, I was on YouTube uh, the day... So it was the week leading up to the episode when one of the... Tragedy befell one of the dragons in the previous season, right, and right. I wasn't even looking for it. It just popped up yeah. on my home page. What? <laughs> I was so angry, so I need to be careful with what I go looking for, or I suppose not looking for. Right. Up next, a movie of a decidedly smaller scale than Spider-Man Far From Home as we continue our July movie preview. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes, continuing our July movie preview. If you are just tuning in and miss Jeff's review of Spider-Man Far From Home. How many couch cushions? Four and a half couch cushions out of five. It is a terrific fun time at the movies. And if you were listening and you heard, I said we we're going to talk about a uh, movie that's of a much smaller scale than Spider-Man. That doesn't necessarily mean worse than Spider-Man Far From Home. It's a creepy looking movie that opened on Wednesday. It's called Midsummer. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. <sighs> No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity. I just wish you would have told me, that's all. I was going to ask you if you wanted to come with me. You ruined the surprise. I wanted it to be romantic. Yeah, that sounds real romantic. Midsummer is about a young couple named Danny and Christian. Their relationship is on the verge of collapse until a family tragedy puts the brakes on that. And Danny invites herself to tag along with Christian and his buddies on a trip to a midsummer festival in a Swedish village. What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> Welcome and happy midsummer. Unbelievable. Let our feast commence! In terms of notable cast members, Will Poulter sticks out the most. He's been in lots of movies. Earlier this year, he was also in that Black Mirror Bandersnatch. But there was another face that stuck out for me, Jeff. Oh, yeah? I said out loud, Hey, that's Chidi Anagonye from The Good Place! That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know... This is only line of dialogue in the trailer. <laughs> I'd be curious to know, you know, there was one scene where his they close had a close-up on his face and he looked really scared. Yeah. So I'd be curious to know how Cheedy, the character, would react to a festival where they appear to chop people up and eat them. This movie looks very unsettling. It's getting good reviews. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. Yeah, I saw the trailer and I was like, ooh, that looks very interesting. I thought I would like to see it. And then I saw the, just a glimpse of some gross stuff and I was like, no, that's not, that's going to be grosser than I'm going to Oh, boy. Did that give you nightmares? Uh, no, it's just, it looks so weird. Uh, I do, I don't know. I might watch it one day down the road or I might just read what the plot is. I'm curious. I want to know what's going on there. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Maybe there'll be uh 
You can watch it like seven years from now when it comes on TV and they and it's not gory. Yeah, or I'll find like an airplane version where yeah, where they cut it all. Out. Do they do that in airplane? I guess they don't anymore, do they? I don't know. Yeah, they used to. Okay. On the 12th, Dave Bautista and Kumail Nanjiani star in the comedy Stuber. Please be a five-star ride. Hey! Uber? Yeah. Be cool, be nice. I'm Stu. How do you do? Compton. I'm LAPD. Let's go. Do you have a more specific address? Compton! Neighborhoods, that's not how Uber works. Nanjiani is Stu, an Uber driver. I guess that's where they get Stuber from. Batista is a cop who hires Stu to drive him around to solve a crime, and hilarity ensues. Hi, ladies. What the hell's going on? You selected the Uber pool option. Uber what? Ladies, official police business. Is that even real? Get out of the car! Official police business? She's going to see her friend. Take this. Oh, I am not touching that. It's a baby gun. It allows you to fire it while crying. Is this an Uber? (laughs) Get angry! Stop that! Why are you laughing? Hold it! This is a leaf! Stop it! <laughs> he got shot in the leg. Good for you, man. You're such a first guy. There are a couple of things happening here. Stu is a mild-mannered rideshare provider, so he's a fish out of water in the policing department, but they seem to become fast friends, so there's a buddy cop vibe working here, too. You're scared, Mr. Stu, and I love it! How do you know my dad? I got an idea! I'm gonna put this propane tank at them! You shoot it, you blow up their car! He kidnapped me. <laughs> this isn't freaking Jaws! Exactly! Just like Jaws, it's gonna work! Ready? We killed some people. Go! Bautista's been comic gold as Drex in the Guardians of the... Drex or Drax? Drax. Drax the Destroyer. Drax the Destroyer. In Guardians of the Galaxy. And Nanjiani's always funny, which makes sense as he started out as a stand-up comic. And his movie The Big Sick was my favorite of 2017, so I've got some high hopes for Stuber. Hello, operator? We need help. Someone's trying to murder us. Hello, operator? We need help. Someone's trying to murder us. Okay, that was good. Hey, did you hear that Dave Batista was throwing some uh, negative vibes at The Rock oh. this week? Someone suggested wow. that uh, they should be another Fast and Furious spinoff with The Rock and John Cena, and they should cast Dave Batista as the villain. And just and, have a WWE reunion. Yeah, and he said, thanks for the consideration, but hashtag I'd rather do good movies. Oh, wow. And he's apparently previously t- taken shots at The Rock. Uh, he Someone asked him what he thought of The Rock as a movie star or as an actor. <laughs> And he said, uh, oh, hey, The Rock in many ways was a movie star before he was a movie star because he was like, he was a larger than life yeah, star yeah. in wrestling. And then he said, but do I re- as an actor, do I think he's a good actor? No. So I don't know what's up with Batista That's and The Rock. That's so weird. I don't think Stuber's going to get better reviews than Hobbs and Shaw. So. Another movie out July 12th. It's a creature feature called Crawl. The state of Florida has issued a Category 5 hurricane warning. Residents must evacuate immediately. Grab your families, your loved ones, and get out. Dad! We won't be able to come for you. Dad! (laughs) 
Crawl is set in Florida, where a massive hurricane is battering Haley's hometown. Haley ignores the evacuation orders to go find her missing father, played by Barry Pepper. She finds him badly hurt in the crawl space of their house, and as she's trying to get him out, they get trapped by the quickly rising floodwaters. Turns out, though, the water is the least of their concerns because giant alligators have infiltrated the home and they're coming for them. Banging on the pipes. Where's their senses? I can distract them for you. You need to go now. And I'm sure it all works out just fine for everyone. It actually does look like a lot of fun, looks super tense and scary. Up next, what could be, maybe, the biggest movie of 2019? You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes, doing our July movie preview. We're on to July 19th now, where we've got a big one. Just gonna let this play for a second. Oh, I love that music. Just goosebumps every time. How about you, Jeff? I hated this movie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> The music, the music is nice. I'll give you that. That is the response I was looking for. <laughs> it is amazing. But I remember watching this back in the day, and I was like, "What is? Why is everybody all into this? I didn't get it." Well, it's the Lion King, and it's the latest live-action remake of an animated classic, which you might remember came out back in 1994. Here's a clip from that. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, you need to understand that balance and respect all the creatures, from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. Dad, don't we eat the antelope? Yes, Simba, but let me explain. When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass. And so, we are all connected in the great circle of life. So now we've got this live action version, which is kind of a funny way to describe this movie that's basically CGI. But one of the many cool things about this, James Earl Jones is back. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. But a king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king. So the cast includes Donald Glover as Simba, Keegan-Michael Key as Kamari, Seth Rogen as Pumbaa, Billy Eichner as Timon, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Scar, John Oliver as Zazu, and Beyonce as Nala. And I 
I apologize if I mispronounced some of those names because I didn't hate that movie, but I've only seen it one time. Same here. I, I, was, I keep thinking, should I rewatch it before this or just go into this and then be more surprising if, it's, if you haven't seen anything since 94, right? That's actually a good call. I think I will avoid watching the original because I am going to go see this movie and I want it to be fresh. I don't want to be doing that constant like, oh, they changed this or I don't like this. Uh, they did whatever. Just go see the movie. It's going to be huge. Remember. Oh, I thought it was, remember what? I thought he was going <laughs> to say something else there. That's it. Just, just remember. <laughs> On July 19th, Jesse Eisenberg learns karate in a movie called The Art of Self-Defense. I want you to tell me why you're here. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of other men. <laughs> I want to be what intimidates me. You came to the right place. It's a dark comedy. Eisenberg is the quintessential 98-pound weakling, and Sensei Alessandro Nivola wants to help beef him up. Emotion Poots is also one of the students at the dojo. I'm taking my first class today. Your new white belt? Is that the first belt color? White is before color. You haven't earned color yet. Today's lesson, to kick with your fists and punch with your feet. That makes perfect sense. Good. It looks pretty funny, at least at the beginning. There's a mental component as well. Everything should be as masculine as possible. What's your favorite style of music? Adult contemporary? No, it should be metal. You're a blade and I'm sharpening you. First of all, yeah, good choice in the music. Karate Kid. Love it. The trailer takes a weirder and darker turn after a while. Uh, I don't know if the trailer's really any indication, though. I don't know that this is going to put butts in seats at the theater, but it might make a fun rental at some point. This is your belt. It is yours. It is sacred. There'll be a $15 charge to replace a lost belt. And last but certainly not least, Quentin Tarantino's new movie comes out on the 26th, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick stunt double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. Leonardo DiCaprio plays Rick Dalton, a Hollywood actor in the 60s. Brad Pitt plays the stunt double. The teaser trailer doesn't really say what the movie's about. The real trailer didn't either, but it looks like they have some Hollywood adventures. At one point, they meet Bruce Lee. My hands are registered as lethal weapons. We get into a fight. I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate. There's a Charles Manson character in this movie as well, so it's not all fun and games. Tarantino has also messed with history before, as Inglorious Bastards killed Hitler in a movie theater, which isn't what really happened. So the point being, anything can happen in a Tarantino movie. It lo uh, the movie also stars the late great Luke Perry, Timothy Oliphant, Dakota Fanning, Al Pacino, Tim Roth, Damian Lewis, James Marsden, Scoop McNary, Rumor Willis, 
Michael Madsen, James Remar, and Kurt Russell, plus many more. That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Like you. All right. Looks cool. I guess I need to get to see that. I still haven't seen The Hateful Eight oh. or Django Unchained. Really? Yeah. I was thinking about Tarantino movies a couple weeks ago, and uh, Django Unchained is in my top three. Yeah? Along with Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I really like that one. Oh, I never saw Jackie Brown either, so I am not well, up you, to snuff you got some Tarantino. Tarantino ahead of you yeah, at some point. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, what do we have for home video this week? Home video? We got a couple. Uh, there's Alita Battle Angel. She's threatening the natural order of things. I need you to destroy her. Alita, they will come for you. I'll have to face them head on. I'm going to need you to stand way back. It is not a game. It is a hunt. From a director, Robert Rodriguez, who's actually one of Tarantino's best friends, starring Rosa Salazar, Mahershala Ali, Christoph Waltz, and Jennifer Connelly. It's about, uh, like, a, a cyborg. This She looks like a human, but she's actually a robot, and she goes, she has to kick some butt. Do you, guess how much money this thing made in worldwide? Uh... Well, I don't know, 70, 76 million dollars. Four hundred million dollars. Oh. It was a huge hit. It made eighty some in America. So Alita Battle Angel, yeah, it came it felt like nothing when it was here, but it's a thing, apparently. I've heard some uh like guys that are critics of action movies say it's really good action. So a Hellboy came out. That was a, just a stone cold bomb, no matter who you are, starring David Harbour. Uh Missing Link is also out on Digital HD and on Blu-ray DVD, Pet Cemetery and Little. That Missing Link looked like a lot of fun. That was from the I believe it's from the same animation studio uh that uh, the, like the Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, starring Hugh Jackman and others and it was about like a Literally like a missing, like a Yeti or a Monable Snowman. Or was it, uh, was it from the Leica guys? Oh yeah, it's from the, like, they're the, they do the movies like, um, of course I can't think of any of them. Uh, hang on a second, I gotta pull that up because they've done all sorts of great movies. Uh, Paranorman was one of them. The right. Box Trolls, uh, The Corpse Bride, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, and Coraline is the, the big one that I was thinking of and couldn't remember. So yeah, they, their movies are excellent. So Missing Link is probably a lot of fun for the whole family. And up next, we're going to mark a very special anniversary. Oh my. The, the, the amount of stuff that Jeff Braun knows about this next subject is pretty staggering. And actually, quite <laughs> frankly, championship winning. Are you not like some sort of championship in, belt I holder? In, I came in second at a contest once. Second? Oh, I yeah. thought you won it. Well, then you suck. We'll get into that next, though. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And this weekend marks the 30th anniversary of my favorite show of all time. And it's a good bet that it's the favorite show of many of you listening as well. I'm talking about Seinfeld. I think you forgot my bread. Bread, two dollars extra. Two dollars, but everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. Three dollars! <laughs> what? No soup for you! Have you ever seen Elaine dance? What is that? It's the puffy shirt. The man's ear. He's just a dentist. Yeah, and you're an anti-dentist. That is one magic loogie. Well, sometimes you can't help these people till they hit rock bottom. His wife's in the By then, you lost interest. I was in the well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. July 5th, 1989, NBC aired The Seinfeld Chronicles, the pilot episode of what would become the number one show in the country and run for nine seasons. The second episode actually 
It didn't come until May 31st, 1990, 11 months later. And that first season was only five episodes, so the show got off to a very slow start. But it's been 30 years since the first airing of the first episode in which Jerry tries to figure out if a woman he met on the road is coming to New York to hook up or just as a friend. Just one of many, many, many social situations where the gang is caught in the gray area that would almost always backfire on them. I think they also became the first batch of million-dollar-an-episode actors, while well, Jerry did for the final season. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Jason Alexander, and Michael Richards all got $600,000 an episode that final season. That wouldn't happen now. Nowadays, they'd all get the same, but I guess Jerry's name was on the show, so he got the most. we got time for a little sidebar here. I was looking up the highest-paid actors on TV. The list of the top 30 or so has Reese Witherspoon on it twice. Did you know she and Nicole Kidman get a million dollars for each episode of Big Little Lies? Wow. Jennifer Aniston on it twice as well because she and Witherspoon are starring in an Apple TV show later this year called The Morning Show for which they're going to get a one and a quarter million dollars each for each episode. What? Tying them for fifth all time. This show's not even out yet. Uh, it's going to be on the Apple TV or whatever. It's like Apple's starting to generate their own content. Oh my God. Yeah. Also, uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon uh, played sisters on Friends, so everything's connected. The rest of the top five, by the way, is Tim Allen, Kelsey Grammer, Ray Romano, and at the top still, Charlie Sheen for the 2010-2011 season of Two and a Half Men in which he got $1.8 million per episode. There's also five Game of Throners on there at a million dollars an episode each for the what, last... What were the big bangers getting paid? Do you know? They were getting close to that too. I just, I might have just glossed over their names, or maybe the list hasn't been updated. No, it must have been updated if it's got this Witherspoon stuff on there. I'll see if I can find that while yeah. I carry on. Here. Anyways, back to Seinfeld. Jerry certainly wasn't making a million an episode for the pilot in 1989. He was just happy for the exposure. Uh, the story of how Seinfeld, the show, uh, became a show, was actually a show that they did on Seinfeld. They told that story. In the show, NBC liked a stand-up comedy, approached him about doing a show. He and fellow comic Larry David were talking about it one day and came up with the idea that it should just be what they were doing, a couple of comics shooting the breeze, and then you could show how their everyday conversations turn into stand-up comedy bits. Larry was turned into George and given a different job. A wacky neighbor was added, and they were off to the races, of course. They got lightning in a bottle with Michael Richards as Kramer the Wacky Neighbor. NBC also told them they needed to add a woman, so in came Elaine. She's not in the pilot, actually. The coffee shop, not monks had a sassy waitress and i think they thought that might be the woman of the series again when they were making the show within the show jerry and george lamented they didn't know how to write for a woman but they did figure it out obviously so it took a year for the show to really start cranking up to what it could be but it all started 30 years ago this weekend and i can confirm that it's a million per episode for the main five of big bang theory and then uh how do you pronounce the name is that mayim bialik I think it's Miam. May, oh, no, Miam. I don't know. Miam Bialik? Yeah. Blossom. Right. Let's go with Blossom. That's, that's why everyone calls her Blossom. And uh, Melissa Rock. Rock. Uh, see, I, I, they I, came in later in the series, so they... But it's weird because the last, honestly, like five years, they were just as big a part of the show as any of the rest of them. Well, they were getting paid 425000 per episode in that final season, so yeah. that's not bad. Here's I wanted to ask you this about Seinfeld because I still love Seinfeld, but when I watch Seinfeld now, I find more... Quite often, I think, that definitely doesn't fly now. No, lots of it. Most, not would say most of it, but yeah, so much of it wouldn't fly. That contest episode boggled everyone's mind at the time, and it still blows my mind. It's like, you couldn't do that on TV. The 
Master of Your Domain contest. Yeah, oh, I know, I know the episode, the contest. I wonder. I think they could probably get away with that. I was thinking more of like the stuff where it's either cultural, yes. culturally, uh, where, where it's it's discriminatory or the the humor's like the uh, not that there's anything wrong with that episode. Yeah, I think at the at the time, I guess basically the commentary is it's interesting how times have changed because at the time that episode was meant to i think demonstrate that hey we're being culturally sensitive and we're trying to be you know welcome be more embracing of yep. diversity and whatnot but now that would be offensive yeah there's lots of stuff even in friends where there's like a lot of like sort of homophobic jokes or whatever like oh it's funny because they think he's gay or something like that then and that you just don't see that anymore so time does do stuff also like 90 percent of the seinfeld plots would just fall apart with cell phones yeah. It's like, oh, we don't have to sneak into someone's house to change the tape in their answering machine because, you know, they just wouldn't have that anymore. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a, co- uh, a competition before. Uh, I just want to let everyone know there's a trivia night, a Seinfeld trivia night thing I went to. I came in second because I choked at the end. I couldn't, I didn't buzz in in time for the tiebreaker. Oh, man. It's <laughs> like, I was outdone by young whippersnappers. So you actually choked. I was just, I just froze. I was just, ah. And by the time I push the button somebody else had pushed it so you had a buzzer like were you standing at a podium yeah three of us like the was like a jeopardy style game show pretty much oh at, my god just for the tiebreaker the first part was in groups at tables yeah and they did like 10 questions and you wrote down your answers and we did a few rounds of that and then the there were three of us tied for first or whatever so we all had to go up one person from each table and get a buzzer and I just, I just choked. So you knew, <laughs> did you know the answer? Uh, I can't remember what, it, what what the question was, but I remember knowing the answer, yeah. Oh, man. That must have been just heartbreaking. But yeah, I, and I guess this, when I bring this up about how some of the things in Seinfeld don't hold up, that's not a criticism of the show. It's a no. reflection of its time. Yeah. You can go back on any show, like you look at shows like All in the Family, or what's the show where the guy would say, pow, Alice, right to the, the moon. The Honeymooners. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, beating your wife is not a popular thing in TV shows anymore. Yeah, so it's just it's funny to see how... So, but I guess Seinfeld stands out because that's such a big show for so many people. And I do need to go back and watch it, though. You've got all the DVDs, oh, right? I do. And it's on Crave, isn't it? Uh, oh, yeah. You know what? I think it might be available so, on Crave. Season four was their best season, and I would maybe cherry pick some of the good ones out of season three, and then from four, five, six, and seven are the just four stellar seasons of television. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.